This recording is a ministry of Grace Bible Church of Pleasant Hill, California. We want to thank you for listening and invite you to visit us each Lord's Day on our campus located at 40 Cleveland Road, Pleasant Hill, California, or at any time at gbcph.org. 24 through 29. Colossians 1, 24 to 29, and I accidentally asked you to sit down. I'm sorry. If you wouldn't mind standing one more time so we can honor God's word in the reading of it. <laughs> Apologies. Uh, Colossians 1, 24 to 29 reads, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints, to whom God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this, minist- of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Amen. You may now have a seat. No more standing. <laughs> well, I don't know if anyone here this morning has seen the movie Shawshank Redemption. I don't know if anyone here has not seen the movie Shawshank Redemption before. It's a good one. Spoiler alert, hopefully. You, ha- you haven't have had enough chance to see it by now. Um, but it's about a prison break, right? There's a guy unjustly imprisoned, breaks out of jail, by a long, slow process. And as I was looking it up to talk about it this morning, trying to remember bits of the movie, I found, actually, that a similar sort of thing happened last year. (laughs) In September 2021, six prisoners broke out of a high-security prison in Israel using only a rusty spoon. (laughs) Did you know that? I just discovered that. as a person who has recently been digging in my backyard, I've discovered that digging requires lots of dirt. <laughs> dirt expands sort of like as you dig it. And just imagining how they were able to get all the dirt out just logistically with a spoon is, is quite impressive. But imagine, imagine the patience and the endurance required to execute this plot over the course of such a long period of time, slowly digging just one spoonful at a time. What would sustain you through such a long and arduous process? Hope. In their case, a wishful thinking, really. (laughs) Oh, please let this work. I don't want to be in prison. Uh, And as I was looking it up, I found the tagline for the movie was, fear can hold you prisoner, hope can set you free. Hope is what sustains the ministry of the church, we can take a turn there, through much bleaker circumstances and with a much stronger hope. 
because the world that we live in is actually far darker than Shawshank was. And the hope that we have is far brighter than just a wishful thought. Shawshank prison was indeed an evil and corrupt place for sure, but the world that we live in is not just evil and corrupt, it's also in rebellion against its maker. And the work that God has called us to do is, is greater. It's not just to endure. It's not just to get out of prison. It's to redeem prison. <laughs> it is to, to rescue, to reconcile the world to God through Christ. Right? Not just to get out of, out of, not to get out of Shawshank, but to, to redeem Shawshank. And the hope that we have in Christ is not just a, a wish, it is a confidence in the future reality that is to come. And that is what will strengthen us to endure and to persevere in this task. Last week, we were in verses 15 through 23, and we saw this exalted view of Christ, that he is the image of God, the maker of all things that exist, the reconciler of all things. Uh, he, we saw that he is supreme. He is supreme in creation, he is supreme in redemption, and he is supremely personal. He, he rescued us individually and us here as a church corporately. And here this week in verses 24 to 29, he turns his attention to the church, the community of God's people gathered into local assemblies. The church is precious in the eyes of God, and the church has a task in this world that he's called us to, and what I hope for us to see this morning is that the church has been entrusted with hard work, but hard work that, has, that is grounded in hope. And so we will this morning see three callings that we have been entrusted with. Suffer, hope, and proclaim. To suffer in hope, to hope in hope, that's a bit of a stretch, sorry, and to, to proclaim in hope. Okay, so we'll first see suffer. Verse 24, he says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, the church. The first words here just strike us as, wow, I rejoice in my sufferings. They feel so contrary to, to our experience. Suffering is hard, not generally a, a thing we, we tend to rejoice in. But, but let's take a moment just to look at Paul. He, he's speaking in the first person. He transitions from we to I in this section at the end of verse 23, of which I, Paul, became a minister. It was we who were writing to you, and now he's speaking personally. Paul is the one who is suffering at that present moment. Paul is writing this letter from a Roman jail. Uh, with some benefits, but prison nonetheless. Uh, not, not a fun place to be. He had just barely, by the way, got almost, just barely got there, I should say. He almost drowned. We just heard about this whole long uh, ship ride in Acts 27 a few weeks ago. He also, after that, just prior to that, he had sat in prison uh, nearer to home for a few years. I think it was like two years, maybe. After and prior to that, he had just escaped a plot from the Jews uh, that tried to kill him, and the, the, the mob that was stirred up against him 
the Roman soldiers that had captured him almost beat him. And this was just like a week, <laughs> or uh, not, not a week, uh, a short period of time in the life of the Apostle Paul. As we have learned through our study in the book of Acts, the past time that it's been, there has been just a catalog, just a list of sufferings that the Apostle Paul went through. In 1 Corinthians 11, 1 Corinthians 11, he just lists them all out. And he says, let me tell you, you want to talk about suffering? Let me tell you, I've got some experience. He says in Galatians, he says, leave me alone. I, I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. He says, I, I've, I've been around the block and I, I have suffered. And Paul did not seek this out, did he? It, it came to him as, as he was just walking faithfully in his call to preach the gospel. If you, if you would, turn with me to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 9. We read this phrase, as just after Paul had been converted on the road to, D to Damascus, as he was in the city, Paul called this man Aeneas to, to go speak to Paul. An An Aeneas? Ananias, I believe. And in, in 9.15... Chapter 9, verse 15, Jesus is speaking to Ananias, telling him, Go, talk, go talk to Paul, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Jesus said that this was going to happen to him uniquely. Part of Paul's unique calling as an apostle, as a minister, was to receive lots of suffering for the sake of Jesus' name. And so Paul says here, I'm suffering. Uh, and second, I'm suffering for you. I'm suffering for your sake in Colossians 1. How, how exactly we might ask, is, is Paul suffering for the church's sake? Jesus said in, in Acts 9, he is suffering for, for Jesus' namesake, but it is also for the benefit of the church. Essentially, suffering shows us that uh, it shows the value of Jesus. It says in the words of Psalm 63, your steadfast love is better than life. Suffering puts our, our, our money with our, where our mouth is, as it were, with the genuineness of our trust in Christ, to say it is better to be with him than to live here and deny him. Christian suffering has benefits internal and external to the church. Internally, suffering benefits the church by strengthening believers. As we believers witness one another, or witness others, enduring hardship with faithfulness, we are encouraged that, that it can be done. We see them doing it. We see God is meeting them. God is encouraging and strengthening them. God is bringing them through this. One day, if I were to go to a, through a similar thing, God would carry me through it as well. We can know that there will be grace for us too. And so we read Christian biographies, and we read about men and women who have been faithful to the call of the gospel and have suffered greatly, and we get encouraged by that not because of their pain, but because we, we see that God, God kept them through it, and God will keep us through it as well. A poorer example is DIY stuff on your home. I'm not a very handy person, 
but uh, I have learned to try to be with some friends of mine lately. And I remember the first time uh, this buddy of mine came over to my house and he was helping me out with something. And he's like, okay, then we're just gonna cut a hole in this wall here. I was like, hold on a second. You don't cut holes in walls. It's just not done. He says, no, you're just gonna cut a hole right here and it'll be great. And I, and I, I, was, I was nervous. I didn't know what was gonna happen, but turns out it, it works. You can just cut a hole in the wall and then do the thing you need to do and even just put it back. Um, but I am not a person to, to look up a, a video on YouTube and, and watch that and, and just do it. I need to see someone do it in front of me and then I, and then I can do it, <laughs> maybe. And so, <laughs> and so seeing another person endure a thing before your very eyes and then to say, by the grace of God, I can do that too. I could follow along if, if that were to come my way. Paul says we are in another place in, first, in 2 Corinthians. He says we are comforted by God in our suffering so that we can comfort others in their suffering. So, so suffering benefits the church. It strengthens believers. Externally, uh, suffering benefits the church by, by testifying to the lost. Suffering shows the world the value of Christ. The willingness to set aside not just our comfort, but even our very lives for the sake of the gospel testifies to its value far beyond what we could ever say with our words. Uh, it, it may seem like it would push people away, like, oh, no way do I want that. <laughs> but pe people see it, and they see, oh, they really believe this stuff. This is real. This is making a difference in their lives. And, and it draws people to the faith. Think of Hebrews chapter 11, after it talks about a bunch of, bunch of people who suffered, he just pauses in the middle and he says, these men are men of whom the world was not worthy. Men of whom the world was not worthy because they were such a clear picture in their suffering of the, the truth of the gospel and the hope that we have after death. I don't know if you've ever read the book, Let the Nations Be Glad, John Piper, if not, would recommend. There's a chapter in there on suffering that just is a fantastic and challenging and heart-wrenching chapter, and just story after story of brothers and sisters who have given their lives and who have, have suffered greatly for the sake of the gospel. There is one story of a man who, who, I forget the details, but he goes to the city, his own city, I don't know why he was away, and he brings the gospel there. And he says, they have to hear about Jesus. And, and the whole city comes out to the square and beats him, drags him out of the city, and leaves him for dead. He wakes up a bit later and he says, I must have said something wrong. <laughs> they didn't get it. Uh, let me try again. And he goes back and he tells them again. And they beat him, they drag him out of the city, and they leave him for dead again. And he wakes up again and he says, man, what, what happened? I need to try again. They're not getting it. And he goes back again, and he, he's telling them again, and they start beating him again. Except around him, he can see the, a, a fringe of, of women around the edge that are, that are crying as he's being beaten. He wakes up the third time in the city, tending with, with the whole village, caring for and tending to his wounds. He had one captive audience. <laughs> with his suffering, with his commitment to, to them hearing the truth. Right, this is the exact opposite of, I will blow you up for my faith, or I will take back Jerusalem by sword. 
for my faith. This is, I will, I will be blown up for my faith. I will give my life to show you that this is real. So Paul says, I'm suffering. I'm suffering for you. And he, he even goes to say, and I rejoice in this. I rejoice in it. Paul counts it a privilege. He counts it an honor to be able to testify this way. That he gets to bring the gospel to Rome. <laughs> he is shortly going to be able to bring the gospel to Nero to have an audience with the emperor, <laughs> which is, I'd imagine, hard to get. Uh, he, he says, I've got a captive audience, literally, in that sense, you know, guards that are chained to him that he gets to share the gospel with every day. And he is fulfilling this calling on his life. He says, Jesus called me to this. He called me to suffer greatly. And I am fulfilling that, and I rejoice in that. Romans chapter 5, if we could jump there real quick. Romans chapter 5 has some interesting parallels with, with this verse. He says in, in 5, uh, verse 1, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, which is similar to what we saw in Colossians, where it said that we, there's, we have been reconciled to God. Even he will reconcile the world, ultimately. Verse 2, uh, we, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God, which also parallels with our verse today. But verse 3, not only that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, this is verse 4, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. And so he says, why do I rejoice in my suffering? Because it, it produces character. It, it causes me to grow, and then it leads to more hope, which leads to the ability to endure more suffering. It's this blessed cycle of, of growth that God has given to us. And so he not just endures, he, enjoy he rejoices in it. Uh, back in Colossians 1, verse 24, we saw Paul is suffering, and we saw his perspective on it, but then he goes on to say something else that's interesting. He says, In my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Now, what does that mean? You say, Paul, that sounds kind of bad. I don't think you're supposed to say that. <laughs> what does it mean that he's filling up what's lacking in Christ's afflictions? Uh, he doesn't mean that Jesus' sufferings were not enough, does he? Does he? No, no he doesn't. Uh, he's not saying that, that Jesus got like 99% of the way there, and then Paul's like, stand back. I'll finish this up. I'll bring us home. He, he, he's not saying that at all. He had just said that it was the blood of Jesus' cross that paid the price to reconcile the world to, to God. He's about to say in Colossians 2 that, that the sacrifice of Christ paid for all, underline all, of our sins. Uh, he is not saying and suggesting in the least that he is filling up anything with Jesus' sufferings. Uh, redemptive sufferings. Note the word here is affliction, not suffering, which is, in, which is important. The word affliction is not used really to, to describe uh, Jesus' redemptive suffering. Uh, what he is saying, though, is that, that Christ identifies with his people in their suffering. We, we, we already looked at Acts chapter 9. In Acts chapter 9, a little bit before that, when Paul was on the Damascus road and, and Jesus spoke to him, and there was the blinding light. He said, Paul, Paul, or Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting my church? He didn't say my church. He said me. 
So why are you persecuting me? Paul was, in fact, persecuting Christians. He was going to Damascus to persecute Christians, to put them in jail or worse. And Jesus says, you're persecuting me. He takes it personally. He, Christ himself identifies with his people in their suffering. That's profound. Paul also, in Philippians 3, you can jot it down, Philippians 3.10, Paul says, I rejoice to, to share in the sufferings of Christ. There is a fellowship in his sufferings, he says. Uh, and again, not, not sharing in his redemptive sufferings, not suffering the wrath of God with Jesus, but suffering the affliction from the world. That is the part that we share. Not, not the wrath of God for our sin, but the hatred of the world. In suffering, we identify with Jesus as one of God's people, as a follower of Christ, and we taste a tiny portion of the ire of the world that he took the full force of. And so that's what he means. Not that there is any, any, any deficiency or any lack in, in the cross. That, like we just sang, it was finished. He completed it, it was done. But as the church, we endure suffering, we identify with Christ, we identify with God's people, and Christ suffers with us. He bears those afflictions with us in our afflictions. As we suffer, we fill up, as it were, a, a determined amount of afflictions of, for God's people that Christ left us to endure, entrusted to us to endure as a means to show his mercy, to show his name in this world. One commentator says, the tribulations of Christ will not be complete till the last pang shall have passed and the last tear have been shed. Not a pang, not a tear is in vain. So brothers and sisters, God calls us to suffer. He even says we have been graced with this gift to suffer. Paul said, through many tribulations, it is necessary that we enter the kingdom of God. So what I first thought as I was, as I was studying this and thinking about this is how am I suffering? Man, my life feels pretty easy right about now. Uh, being a Christian in America is different from being in a Christian in many places of the world. Top three, uh, Afghanistan, North Korea, and Somalia according to Open Doors, are the hardest places in the world to be a Christian. But this is where God has put us, uh, not there. Suffering is not a thing that we pursue or look for. It is, it is just something that, that comes. And so I think the questions that we ought to ask instead are, am I avoiding faithfulness to prefer or advance my comfort? Am I preferring, am I avoiding faithfulness in order to prefer my comfort? Am I making decisions that demonstrate the gospel, the Christ, or that Christ, the church, the people of God are a higher priority for me than my comfort, or do I have it flipped? Also, some people do have to go to these hard places. May God raise up people here to go to hard places and proclaim the gospel. Closer to home, this past week, Sandy and I went to a Foster the City meeting. We are looking to become support friends for some friends of ours, some family friends of ours who are fostering. And it was, it was a super encouraging meeting. 
the, the guy who was leading it said something to the effect of, uh, we're asking you to do something hard. <laughs> Someone was asking a question about, like, what if it's difficult? Uh, he says, it will be difficult. We are asking you to, to, to step into something hard, to lean into something very difficult. Dangerous, maybe. But not dangerous, di- difficult, hard, because that's what we do. That's what Christians do. We, we step in to hard things to show the love of Christ. We don't do things because they're easy. We do things because Christ has called us to, and we want to extend his love to this world. And so a question, I guess, is, is what hard thing are you avoiding? Out of preference for our comfort. And you might say, well, you know, I've got enough problems. I don't need to be told to suffer like I've got enough problems uh, on my own. And, and this is not saying you've got to pay your entrance free. You know, why, why don't you do a little more for Jesus? It's not what he's saying. He is saying, do you see your life as a gift from God? Do you see every moment that you have as grace, ransomed, rescued? Do we, do we see ourselves through the lens of the gospel? Do you see that the very afflictions and problems that you experience have been appointed for you? Sometimes they're our own doing, right? <laughs> Sometimes we suffer for our own foolishness, and there's mercy for that. Um, but, but sometimes we're suffering for his appointed afflictions. And, and we need to learn through those things to, to rejoice, see the God's work in them, in us, and, and to put our hope in Christ. And I can tell you that that is, that is hard. That is hard. Uh, not everyone knows this, but we are you know, often asked as parents, how many, how many kids do you have? We say, you know, we've got four kids. We actually have five kids. Um, we had another child in between Ellie and Nathan. Um, turns out it was actually just this past week, 11 years ago, uh, we had another daughter, Evelyn. And she, we found out on her due date that her heart had stopped. And, and we lost her. Um, and I... At her memorial, I, I spoke on Romans chapter 8. And I, as I was preparing, I, I found those notes. Um, and I thought to myself, I wrote at that time, you know, this might be my most important message I ever give. And just the, the opportunity not to rejoice in that suffering, but to rejoice in, in Christ through those difficult times to show the world that Jesus makes a difference in our lives, that he is our hope. And so he calls us, brothers and sisters, to suffer, grounded in the hope that we have in Christ. He second calls us to hope, verses 25 to 27. He says, of this church, I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery, hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, to whom God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So he first talks about this ministry that he has. It is a ministry, it is a stewardship from God. Paul is, yes, he's an apostle, 
He says the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And so he's got some authority. But he says, I, I'm a servant. Who am I? I, I am a minister. The word is servant uh, of the church. Um, this is how I think of myself. I exist for the church's benefit. He says, ministry is given to me for you. I love that phrase. Uh, it just highlights his, his perspective on his ministry. You may have had the history of, of attending a to me, for me church in the past. Ministry is to me, for me. Stand back, everyone. I'm doing ministry. <laughs> he says, it's, it's, it's for you. I once, someone told me once of a, of a thing they read somewhere where a pastor had said, I am the church. Yikes. Run, don't walk away <laughs> from, from that church. No, we are, we are entirely blessed at this church, by the way, brothers and sisters, to have pastors who, who are manifestly of this spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5 says we are to esteem them very highly in love because of their work, and we are thankful for their work. Ministry, he says here, is making God's word known. Making it known. For Paul, it was a bit more than that. The word here is fill up. He says, it is, it is my job to fill up the word of God. I, I think he is conscious that he was writing it. <laughs> he was writing the word of God. Paul wrote right, 13 epistles, I think, and he, he wrote much of the New Testament. Um, and he, he had a job, and he knew that he was doing this. He was filling up, he was revealing truth about the mystery. More generally, the task of the ministry is, is making it known, fulfilling it maybe, you might say. Um, and so this is uniquely true of Paul, but it extends also to pastors, and it extends further to, to all of us. Um, the task is not, the task of the church, right, is not to plan luncheons or barbecues or programs. It, it is to make the word of God known. And then it is the task of Christians as believers to go out and do those things, maybe. Ephesians 4.12 says that, that the role of the pastor is to, is to equip the saints so that the saints go do the work of ministry. Uh, that is something he has called us all to do. And what, what was it exactly? What was the content of this ministry? Verses 26 and 27 says it was, he calls it a mystery, or the mystery. And he, he further says, it, was, uh, it is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So the word mystery is a, is a super interesting word. It is an important word in Paul's writings, especially here and also much in the book of Ephesians. Um, it is generally understood to mean something like open secret, uh, something that was not previously known but is now known and revealed. Like, I've got a box. I'm like, what's in the box? You say, I don't know what's in your box. The box is closed. <laughs> and then you can guess, but there's no way you'll know what's in the box unless I open the box and show you. And so, uh, and that's similar to re Revelation. We wouldn't know things unless God, God told them to us. But more than that, uh, the mystery is not, I think, so much that as much as it also includes things that were not previously understood, things that were not previously appreciated about what God had revealed, um, not just to content that was not previously revealed by God. Because he says the mystery here is Christ in you. He says the mystery is the hope of glory. 
Later in, in 2, 2, chapter 2, verse 2, he says the mystery is Christ. <laughs> Christ was prophesied in the Old Testament. He, it was known, but it wasn't understood. It was not appreciated. Um, and so what we, what we are to learn from this is that Christ in you, his presence in you, is the culmination of a plan that started ages ago. God started planning this from forever ago, literally. <laughs> From eternity past, before there was a heavens and the earth, he had planned this out. And then God created a world so that there would be people in it that would know him. And then they fell from grace. They sinned. And then he let their sin play out. It wasn't pretty. Then he chose one man, Abraham, to bless the world through him. And that through this man would come the Messiah, Right? The promised Savior, the, the king, the, the prophet, priest, king, the one who would rescue God's people, the one who would crush Satan and all his works. And over time, throughout Israel's history, that promise grew and grew and was clarified and focused until finally Christ came. So Christ came, but he didn't come like the conquering king that everyone expected. He came to suffer he came to die. He came to be our representative to, to, to bear God's wrath for us. And this was not understood. This was not entirely appreciated. Even though it had been revealed, they didn't quite get it. Even John the Baptist, I love this. John the Baptist, his job, his one job was to point out the Messiah, right? To say, there he is. And he did that. He did it fantastically. The, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he saw the Spirit descend on Christ like a dove. He heard the voice from heaven, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. But then later, John's in prison and he sends the messengers. He's like, yo, Jesus, is it you or what? Like, I'm in prison. Should we look for someone else? I thought it was you. I see that guy sharpening an axe over here. <laughs> Things aren't going to go so well for me. What's going on? I, I, thought, I thought you were the Messiah. And he didn't get it. They didn't get it. It was first suffering and then glory. Because the problem was way deeper than we could have realized. And God's solution was way more glorious than we could have imagined. Christ, the Son of His love, God in human flesh suffered and died to rescue not just Israel from Roman oppression, the world from our sin. And then, as time went on, God reached out and opened your eyes, rescued you out of, in time, out of the kingdom of darkness, brought you personally into the kingdom of his beloved Son, and having then removed the guilt, removed the hostility, reconciled you to himself, adopted you into his family, made you born again, took out your heart of stone, gave you a heart of flesh, made you a new creation. And then, not just that, he also sent his spirit to live in you, to dwell in you. Christ is not just with you always, he is in you by his spirit. He is actively at work. He is not just the guarantee of the future, but he is, he is working presently in your life now. He is in our hearts now. And his presence is what will keep you into age's future. 
having come so far, will he then give up? In the words of one philosopher, no way, Jose. I found that online. He is your surety. He is your guarantee. He is our hope of glory. Not just look how far you've come, look what he did, but here's the means by which you continue. He's in you. This is God's plan of salvation. This is the hope of the church. That we, that he was going to have a people that would belong to him, that would be his special people, that would live together with him under his rule and blessing. This is the hope not just of individuals, but of the church corporately, that we together would be one people, united under Christ forever and ever. Ephesians 2.7, so that in the coming ages he might show what is the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. We have not even scratched the surface of trying to understand what an amazing thing he has done for us. He says here, he's made known to us what are the riches of the glory of this ministry, mystery. Not just the hope of, not just a glorious hope, but the hope of glory, that we will be in the presence of the glory of God forever and ever and ever. Brothers and sisters, he is our only hope, and he is our sure hope. Thirdly, he has called us, firstly, to suffer to hope, and also, thirdly, to proclaim. Verses 28 and 29. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. He says, not what do we proclaim, whom do we proclaim? Christ is, who, is one, the one we proclaim, not a message, a person, not a system of thoughts, not a theological system, but Christ, the risen Christ. It is his faithfulness, his mercy, and his promises that he is continuing to fulfill that we trust in. Christ in you is the hope of glory. And so we, we proclaim Christ. And this involves warnings. Warning every man and woman, he says. We sometimes notice one another straying, don't we? We sometimes ourselves lose hope, lose sight of this hope, and we give in to despair. I myself had spent quite a, quite a number of years in despair. Despair was the word that most described my feelings often. We lose our confidence in Christ. We look elsewhere for help, and we need to be warned. We need someone to say, hey, that's dangerous. <laughs> Don't go there. If you're like in the ocean, about to drown, you say, you know, I don't think this life vest is really helping me much. I think I'm going to take it off. You say, no, don't do that. That's the one thing that's saving you right now. You take that off, you're going to drown. And that's what we do with one another one time. We say, don't do that. You're going to drown. And these warnings are hard to give sometimes, aren't they? Maybe it's easier to say, let's just smile on Sundays. 
Let's all just say how good our week was. Let's talk about coffee and weather. But no, he says, let's be open with one another. Let's be vulnerable with one another so that we can know where we're struggling, where we're suffering, so that we can warn one another, encourage one another with kindness. And let us receive those warnings humbly. Sometimes they're hard to take, but they are for our good. He says, warning every man, teaching every man, every woman. Sometimes we just don't understand things. We fail to understand an aspect of God's word that teaches us about our current situation or just about life in general. We, we don't know about the riches of the glory and the hope that we have in Christ. We, we think about God in terms of performance. We think we've got to earn it, but we don't. It is a free gift. And so our, our, our lacking in understanding uh, needs to be f- mended, filled. We fail to grasp the freedom of the love of God in Christ, and so we're racked with guilt. We sometimes don't know how to honor God as a, as a parent, as a worker, as a single person, as a child, in whatever capacity in life that you are right now. We say, I don't know how it applies to this situation. We need, we need instruction. We need teaching from God's Word to know what to do. And so the ministry is opening God's Word opening the full counsel of God and seeing how it, how it speaks to, to us in all of life. And notice he keeps saying every, everyone. It's emphatic. Every man and woman. Every man and woman. Not, not just a, a select few. This is not for some elite. This is for every person. And he says, with all wisdom. This requires wisdom. Sometimes we don't know what to say. Sometimes we don't know how to say it. Sometimes we don't know what is the right circumstance to say it in. How does the gospel apply to situations? Sometimes it's hard to tell. And so it requires wisdom. So we ask that God would give us wisdom to apply teaching and, 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 and warnings. And the goal, when does this get to stop? When everyone is mature in Christ. We don't leave any behind. Um, and it, it's, you know, the answer is it's never going to stop. <laughs> we get to stop when everyone is perfect, uh, when everyone is complete. Uh, hint, that will take some time because I'm here, so sorry. Uh, we, we again see the to me for you here, right? This is the heart of, of a pastor. I want every person to be complete in Christ. I don't want one person left behind. And so, brothers and sisters, let us seek one another's good. Let us seek each other's good, each other's growth, each other's completeness and maturity. Let us wisely, tactfully, lovingly speak words of hope into each other's lives to spur each other on to grow in maturity. And this work is hard. We have to be prepared because the work is hard. He says, for this, I toil. I toil. I labor. This is, uh, a word means like hard labor. The word there, struggle. Struggling, he says, with all his, his, his energy. The word is agonizomai. I agonize over this. This is hard. It's hard because it requires wisdom. And this is sometimes elusive. 
It's hard because people don't like to hear warnings. <laughs> They're not also super fun to give, by the way. It's hard. Uh, it's hard because people don't always respond to God's word. They don't come. They come and they don't change. They come and they walk away and they don't believe. That's hard. That's painful. It's hard because of selfishness in our own hearts. So I'd rather just care about my own comfort. I think I'd rather just watch a movie. <laughs> it's easier to do something simple, but he calls us to do, to do this, to speak into each other's lives. It's hard because it's so grand. It's so weighty. It's so heavy a task. We're talking about eternity. We're talking about people's souls presenting each other complete in Christ. So how, how do we continue? How then do we continue to labor? Hope. We press on grounded in hope. Hope that this is God's work compels us to labor on. Note he also says, I struggle with all his energy that he powerfully works in me. And they're just piling up words there. Uh, struggling with his energy that he energizes me with. He says, I, I, I'm working with all of his working in me. And it's his powerful working. His, his strength is what causes us to continue. He supplies the strength. He's the one indwelling us. He's the one strengthening us. He's the one working in us and through us to complete us in the end. And so, brothers and sisters, this is our task. This is the church's task, to proclaim the word of God, to, to proclaim the hope of glory. There is no other organization that exists in the world whose main job is to proclaim Christ and to pursue the growth of God's people. Now, there are many good things that, that God's people should do, that Christians should do, that are not the business of the church, per se. The church as an institution, the church as an organization, is distinct and different from good things that Christians do. But even so, as Christians, as we pursue those things, those good things, like foster the city, that's a good thing. But as we pursue that, we do it uh, as, as a means to the gospel. Even as we might involve ourselves in other things, uh, political or social things that we might care about, are we doing those things with a view to the gospel, to building a platform for the gospel, or are we just pursuing a third thing off on the side? God calls us to be known for this hope. Are we, are we known as someone who cares about third issues, side issues, or are, are we known as a person who cares about the gospel? as central in all that we do, but in particular, in a unique way, as the gathered church, we are here to proclaim the Word of God. He is our hope. And friends joining us today, who, if your hope is not in Christ this morning, this, this Word tells you that you have no hope. Outside of Christ, there is no hope. There is no peace. Suffering is not meaningful. So I would exhort you, I would urge you to see the offer that he extends to you today. 
that he offers to you the hope of glory. He offers to you the forgiveness of your sins if you would trust in Christ and the ability to have an eternity together with him. And brothers and sisters, let us put our hope in him. Let us abandon despair. Despair over ourselves. Despair over the world. Despair over our mistakes. Despair over feeling that things aren't going how I planned. (laughs) How I thought maybe they should have played out. Uh, Let us put our hope in Christ. Let us abandon false hopes. Let us abandon other sources that whisper in our ear, peace, peace, even as they lead us away from faithfulness to Christ. Because those things don't grant us real peace. Ministry to people involves putting ourselves into awkward, hard, dangerous situations. What would compel us to do so? Our trust is in Christ. What can man do to me? So brothers and sisters, let us lean in to obedience. Lean in to difficult things because he's worth it. Even to the point of suffering, he is worth it. Let us be known as people who know and love and proclaim Christ. People who are marked by compassion, kindness, empathy, mercy, living and telling out of the gospel. Amen. Let's pray. Okay.